There's a, another layer on the Tulsa Health Department in, in general, which is everybody's looking to you all for guidance, for information, for knowledge, wisdom, right? And, and that can be an overwhelming feeling of responsibility as well. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason, and on today's episode, I am so thrilled to have our dear friend and supporter, Reggie Ivy on the show. Reggie, thank you so much for being on the Mental Health Download today. You are welcome. Glad to be here. And we also have Rebecca Hubbard, who heads up our Outreach Prevention and Education Department. Hi, Rebecca. Hi there. And so what we're going to do is Reggie is has been so kind to join us today because one, he's a fan of the podcast, which Rebecca and I did a, a, a little happy dance uh, when he when he told us that the other day. And the other reason is that Rebecca is a wonderful resource for Reggie's staff um, at the health department to talk about healthy boundaries when it comes to that work life balance. And then, you know, especially where we're in the holidays and what that means, you know, during the pandemic as far as isolating and feeling maybe those seasonal affective disorder symptoms. But before we get going, I want Reggie to introduce himself and kind of give us context, not only about his role at the health department, but also why he has been a longtime supporter of Mental Health Association Oklahoma. So Reggie, if you could do that, that'd be fantastic. Well, I'm Reggie Ivey. I'm the Chief Operating Officer with the Tulsa Health Department. I have worked with the health department for 25 years. And I have worked with the Mental Health Association for a number of years. I serve on the board and I am extremely excited to be a supporter of the Mental Health Association because I believe that the work that the Mental Health Association does is truly helping to save lives. There are a number of people that are in our community that particularly are struggling right now. And I regularly refer them to the Mental Health Association because there are vast resources there that help people depending on where their struggle is. And so I am, again, excited to be a part of the Mental Health Association, and I will continue to to support it and promote it and make sure that those that I come in contact with in the community, I will refer to the Mental Health Association as a resource. You are the best, Reggie. Okay, so to get things going here, Rebecca, um, let's let's just start with that very general question of, you know, we are obviously in a pandemic. We are about a week from Christmas, um, where we're you know in in all the holidays right now, and seasonal affective disorder. you know, that's a definitely a concern right now, as well as not being able to celebrate the holidays like we normally have and what that does for people's maybe depression levels. And so I just uh, I would love for you to sort of take this big, giant question and, and, and offer us some tips that would be helpful, not only for Reggie's staff, but the people he serves and the people at Mental Health Association Oklahoma serves. Sure. I'm, I'm happy to do that. And I've, that's actually been something that's really been on my heart and mind as well throughout the past few days, especially as we near that week of Christmas and just thinking about all the planning and activity that's normally going on that may not be going on for many people and how adapted their Christmas is going to be looking or their holiday, whatever they, they may, may celebrate. And that in and of itself can be pretty disruptive to your emotional and mental well-being. That that alone, we are, as families and individuals, we have traditions, rituals, 
activities that we do that are part of our celebratory side of our life. And we need those in our life. We need celebration in our life and fun and laughter and connection to others. And that's been particularly difficult given the impact of the pandemic. And especially as we go into the holiday season, all of those differences that we are facing are pretty vast and deep, particularly if someone, others, if certain ones will have been through maybe even scary or grieving type of situations. So with having someone that's been sick or losing someone to the illness in particular, it puts that extra thick layer on top of those pressures of not even pressures, almost like disappointments, kind of the opposite of pressures, right? So, so pressures kind of create this stress and this anxiety. And, and we have that from, you know, not knowing everything's uncertain, right? Our foundation is uncertainty right now because of the pandemic. And then the opposite of, of pressure is, is disappointment and, and that deflated, you know, just that let down that those things that can really bring on sadness and grief. And we are collectively experiencing that just by the impact of the pandemic alone. Then you have the impact of the pandemic within the context of a holiday and then some in the context of loss and then others are significantly affected by the, the, the sunlight changes and seasonal affective disorder. So it's particularly on cloudy days like today can, you know, we have many of those in a row that physiologically changes the chemistry that's happening in our brain, which can, you know, kind of lower those, those receptors and neurotransmitters and, and they're not connecting the way they normally do. And so that's another layer that comes on and just kind of pulls that demeanor, that disposition, that, that mental and emotional wellness to a lower level than we may normally be at. So we are definitely looking at layers. So I think it's very appropriate to ask that as a broad layered question. Well, I'm thinking about the the word layer. When I think about the Tulsa Health Department employees that have been working on this on the COVID response since March, this is the longest response that we have had in the history uh, of the Tulsa Health Department. And so it is very challenging because our staff, they have a regular job, but they've also had to help with the COVID phone bank with testing, with contact tracing, disease investigation. And now as of this week, we are distributing the the COVID vaccine. And so managing all of that, but also COVID is impacting them in their personal lives. And so some of our staff have been exposed. Some of their family members have tested positive. And so that is another challenge. And this year, it seems particularly pronounced that a number of our employees have lost loved ones. And so when you were mentioning the word layer, that's exactly how it feels that our employees are trying to do the very best that they possibly can, but they are, there are many factors that are contributing to how they might be feeling, especially during this time of year when it's supposed to be a celebratory time of year and it may not be that way for some of them. And so how do we encourage our managers to, uh, what should our managers be looking for signs that that an employee might be struggling or having a hard time right now? Right, well, first and foremost, I wanna acknowledge the losses and say, you know, that I'm sorry for those losses. It's devastating, I know it is. And, and 
I hope that they know that the community supports them and wants to be, be encouraging during this time of loss for them. Second, I'd like to talk about the fact that there's a, another layer on, on the Tulsa Health Department in, in general, which is everybody's looking to you all for guidance, for information, for, for knowledge, wisdom, right? And, and that can be an overwhelming feeling of responsibility as well. So really being able to put that responsibility in place and in, in context and not taking too much ownership beyond what we're, we're responsible for. Some of this is just out of our control, right? Some of this, we just can't do anything different. We do our best and there's not much more we can do. As far as managers and looking for clues that a staff member may be struggling, you're gonna wanna look for those behavioral clues. Those are kind of honestly the obvious, right? So that can be showing up late to work, calling in a lot, maybe being tearful, maybe having some frustration or anger that they're expressing that's unusual for them to act that way or they become despondent or and 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 isolating and pulling back anything that shows a significant shift of what their normal behavior and demeanor is that would be something to just kind of check in hey how are you doing let's chat for a second i just want to i just want you to share with me what's going on in your world But then there's also that little deeper dive, right? So beyond looking for just the behavioral clues, listening to the words, listening to what the meaning is behind the words, right? So when they're saying they're tired, tell me about your tiredness. What does that mean, right? And we don't have to get into a counseling session. It's just trying to give them some validity to their emotions, help them to know that they're in a safe workplace that protects and and promotes their mental health and well-being and is willing to help them get resources if they need it. So I would say behavior observation, but also paying attention to words and what people are saying and how they're saying it, and then asking questions about that to not pry, but to provide support and understanding. What are some, some tools that we could give our employees about taking care of their mental health during this time? Absolutely. So we have several, we have a podcast on mindfulness that Jacob Beaumont, one of our one and only Jacob Beaumont has done a mindfulness series. And so they can go and listen to that. And he has this very soothing way of helping people learn the process and practice of mindfulness. If people don't have time for a podcast or they feel more comfortable reading, there's a web page called mindfulness.org, which really gives some great tips and information and different options and ways of doing mindfulness, which really connects yourself to your brain, to your body, right? So our brain runs our body, but a lot of times our brain is not paying attention to what our body is telling us about how our brain is feeling. And so that's really what mindfulness does for us. There are screenings out there that can be done. The Mental Health America has multiple types of screenings. So if anybody feels like they might be struggling, but they're not quite ready to talk to a a practitioner or a therapist, they can go do that screening and have that as a baseline for their discussion. There's many opportunities just Googling self-care, right? There's lots of information on self-care and 
things that people can do. So one of the beautiful things that Mental Health Association incorporated with the support of a generous donor was we have yoga once a week and we've continued to do that even virtually. And yoga is a wonderful practice of wellness as is taking walks or reading or even just watching a funny show. Laughter is very good medicine. So those are a few things and really just finding that thing that clicks for you as an individual that either releases that pressure stress valve or raises that disappointment and sadness weight. You know, I'm thinking about a number of our employees that have children. And so a number, uh, and because school has not happened as it normally does, and a, a lot of the children are spending quite a bit of time at home and they're not able to socialize with friends and that sort of thing, what should parents, should, parents, our employees look for in their children that might be a trigger that something is going on that they need to pay closer attention to? Right. Thank you for asking this question because children and families are near and dear to my heart. That's really my passion. And and of all times in the in the time of life, we need to be paying more attention to our kids than we ever have. We really need to be engaged. We need to be connected. We need to be making sure that we're communicating and we're listening to what they say when they communicate back. We need to be able to have a safe and warm relationship so that they feel comfortable to come to us if if they're struggling. And so that really requires simple things, sometimes challenging when we're very busy. But if you have a kiddo that's into Harry Potter or baseball cards or whatever that might be, you know, sit down and get involved have them share about it, learn about it. That speaks volumes to children. I have one that loves mythology. And now I know everything about Egyptian mythology and Norse mythology and all the mythologies, right? And so that builds relationship and connection. And it teaches them that you are there for them and that you care about them and that you're invested in them. And that is your foundation for open communication. And then, of course, practicing that communication so that they know what to say and practicing asking them. We talk often about normalizing the situation, right? So we need to normalize where we're at. We need to normalize that change is a part of this process as we go forward in the pandemic, even with the vaccinations, we still have some adapted living that we're going to have to be doing. And we need to normalize that. We need to plan for change. We need to plan for if this happens, then we will do this, you know, so that they know what the expectation is in a positive way. You know, we don't want to scare them. We want to be developmentally appropriate. Also, we want to make sure that they are, they know that we're we are interested in what they're feeling. So instead of just asking what, how was school or what did you do today? Asking how did you feel about school? How did you feel about that game you played with your friend online? Or how did you feel about that test or that experience in class? That's really important to identify emotions and help them learn what emotions are. It's funny, we tend to think that Somehow children and youth and even adults magically learn and understand emotional wellness and mental health, yet we come in having to learn to talk and walk 
and dress and eat all the things, right? There's very few things we come in prepared to do. And so this is just another one of those things that we need to teach them about emotions and mental wellness. Also connecting and doing the fun things, laughing together as a family is vital. I know there's been sometimes with my family, they've wanted to watch a show and I'm like, okay, but it has to be funny. I have to have something funny. You need something funny. Let's find something funny. And so laughter is vital, making sure that you are setting a good example by taking care of your own mental health and your own emotional wellness. Maybe if you are feeling down, say, hey, I know that I may look like I'm feeling kind of down or overwhelmed right now. And and I do feel that way, but I also know that I have these tools to help me. And so I'm going to use these tools so that I can stay healthy and well. We have a student mental health program where we can do student mental health screening. So if a parent does have concern, they can go on our website and sign their student up for a confidential student mental health screening. And that screens for depression, anxiety, ADHD, suicidality, many things. And we have licensed, highly skilled clinicians to implement that and then help you to get to services that are a best fit for you and your family as well. So I want to encourage that because we can do them virtually. We don't even have to meet in person so we can stay physically safe and healthy. And so we can do it over the computer as well. So just wanted to touch back on that. Uh, Rebecca, this information is fantastic. Thank you so very much. I have another question. I I hope I don't overload you with questions, but I have so many. I'm thinking about our staff that are so invested in this response. And next week, they will have Christmas Eve and Christmas Day off, and then Saturday and Sunday, the weekend. So four days, which many of our staff have not had four days off together in a very, very long time. So I'm excited for them for that reason. But we're finding that a lot of our staff can't turn it off. I mean, they have been in this response for since March. And we want them to be able to turn it off but how do we help them or encourage them to really do some self-care during those four days? Absolutely. And I actually had a lengthy conversation about this with my supervisor, Mark Davis, this morning, and he called it a detachment. I call it disconnect. We can use any word you want, but You know, we have to find, we have to really encourage them. And he was very, even though I'm ready and I've already got my detachment and disconnection plan (laughs) in place and I'm ready. He was so encouraging of that. And, And that really, you know, it just feels not that we need permission, but it just that, that really deep and strong encouragement to say, hey, really, I care about you. Please completely disconnect turn it off. We've worked pretty, pretty hard on some tasks that are kind of mind focused. And so, you know, that's a little harder to walk away from when you come out of your office or your dining room or even the office at work where you're working. And it's hard to kind of click that off when you're really brainstorming and kind of trying to come up with solutions. And it's important to say that to staff, hey, click your brain off. It's okay to turn it off and it's okay to disconnect or detach. And you've got to find the way that works for you. Some people that may be turning off their phone, some people it may be going on a trip, you know, some people it may be just making sure they're with family that, you know, whatever that thing is that helps them 
detach and disconnect that's healthy because there are some escape routes that are not healthy, right? We don't want to go into a lot of drinking. We don't want to go into misusing medications or any kind of behaviors unhealthfully either. We want to make sure that we're doing something that's healthy, but also allowing us to break, create that break from the stresses and pressures we've been feeling. That disconnect that is very vital. And I'm glad to hear that you're even thinking that way because, you know, I think we all get kind of tired and overwhelmed and we just kind of fade, right? We just kind of fade and we need to be really intentional about, you know, this is what I, this is my action I'm going to take. And when I take that action, I'm leaving all of that behind and now I'm going and I'm taking care of myself and I'm doing my family time and the things that bring me comfort and joy and peace. Well, and I, I have one more question. I, I know our time is almost up. I was thinking about, we have a number of high-performing employees and they have not been able to work their normal programs because they're helping with the response. And many of them are concerned about the goals of their program because for many years, they've been successful at reaching their goals every year. And this year, it just may not happen because they had to split the split time. And so, and we have said to them, don't be concerned about reaching goals this year in your normal program or your regular program. We are in a response like none other. And so that we will be able to explain the funders the reason why we weren't able to meet specific goals. And I'm certain that they will understand, but still we have employees that again, high performers, they want to do well. And I think they align doing well with always reaching the goal. So how do you talk to employees to help them to understand it's okay. This year is unusual. I so relate to this and we have the same experiences happening right now. Absolutely the same. And we've had the same kind of conversations. Don't worry. We can explain to the funders. They understand we're in a very unique circumstances and situations this year. And it goes back to that, you know, permission and encouragement to disconnect and detach. It's related to that. And it really comes down again, you know, not only saying don't worry about your goal, but maybe a, well, let's set a realistic goal in the context of this year. What would that goal be? so that they can start to formulate that in their own mind and understand, well, okay, yes, of course it doesn't make sense that I can still make make this goal. There's no way. I would never expect someone else to make this goal under these circumstances. And I would want them to pare this down to this level and this would be more attainable. So something kind of concrete for them to grab a hold of Uh, complete permission to disconnect and disengage as needed to take care of yourself, even if that means you don't meet the goals that we normally strive for. And then, you know, really awarding them with praise and appreciation and anything that is creative and possible to do to say, you know, you've done an exceptional job. I have a couple of staff members myself that they have worked valiantly and there's just so much that's outside of their control and 
they have done everything they could possibly do. And I had them list all the things they have done toward that goal. Even though they didn't attain the goal, they've done a hundred times more this year than they would in a previous year in the attempt to attain it. So either pairing down that goal or helping them to see how much they have done toward the goal, as well as encouraging them that there's complete understanding and support because of the unique times we're in. Oh, thank you so much. This was fantastic information and I can't wait to share it with our staff. That's I didn't tell Matt I was planning to do that, but I certainly am. <laughs> but thank you so much. I'm so glad I got a chance to meet you virtually and I look forward to someday meeting you in person. Same here, same here. It was great to meet you and great to visit.